start this morning with a fill in the blank. And uh, it's sort of, we've already talked about it, but relationships are blank. Relationships are blank. Lots of different words you can fill in there, probably depending on the relationship you're thinking of. Relationships are. Let me give you a couple of words that I've been thinking of this week. Relationships are wonderful. Relationships are life-giving. Relationships are reason to celebrate. And some of you know the week I've had. You know what I'm talking about. But you'll see a, a slide on the screen. Our oldest child, Isaiah, he got engaged this week on Thursday night to, uh, to Sarah. We're, we are delighted. Maybe a late spring wedding. Sort of a check off my prayer list. God provide a... I'm still praying for him, but just in a different way now. But uh, delighted for that. So just wanted to share our joy with you. So that's been my upside. Relationships are. Lots of upside this week. But as we've heard this morning, that's not always sort of the blank that you may fill in. We could say relationships are hard work. Relationships are taxing. Relationships are complicated. Relationships can be hurtful and painful. There, there's all sorts of ways we could fill in that second sentence there. And that would apply, again, apply to our relationships with each other. But then we may have a whole other set of words as we think about our relationship with God. And that, that is a real relationship as we walk with God and try to know him as he knows us. And so we could also have a whole season of words that we would apply there. Well, this morning, Jesus is coming as he is making disciples. I love how in the end of the Gospels, Jesus says to us, go and make disciples. But in this section of Luke, he's actually doing that. He's saying, here's what I'm doing. I'm making disciples. Look at me. And then when I go, I want you to do the same thing. And so he's got these large crowds that are around him. But as we keep reading, and we'll see it again today, he says, he says to his disciples. So Jesus is turning in, talking to those who are following him, and he's dealing with all of these subjects that are, that, that are so important for his disciples. We've talked over the last weeks about pride and humility. We've talked about hospitality. We've talked about last week, the reality of hell. And so now Jesus digs into another topic, and his topic is relationships. Relationships. And Luke records Jesus saying four things about relationships, four things that really matter. They are practical, they're real. Jesus is sort of in our lives, and they're also challenging. And so that's, what, that's where we're coming from today, Jesus' words about relationships. These are the four. And what's nice about going through this series in a way like this is, you might say, Jeff, why are you covering these four things this morning about relationships? Here's why. It's what Luke recorded, Jesus said. So I'm just taking what Jesus said, and I'm just sharing it with us today. That's the whole plan. And here's my hope and prayer for us today, is the things that Jesus said some 2,000 years ago that Luke records is exactly what we need to hear today. And so we're just going to look in. And that's my hope and prayer that we, as we see Jesus speak about relationships, our relationship with other people and our relationship with God, that is exactly what we need to hear today. So he's chosen the topic. He's chosen the information. And that's where we come today. So as we begin, let me just offer a word of prayer for us as we start. God, thank you that your word is powerful. You say that when it goes out, it never returns void. It never returns empty. 
And so, God, our prayer today is that your word would achieve what you desire. It would accomplish the purposes that you have for us as individuals and us as a church. So now, Lord, uh, speak to us through your word. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 17, first 10 verses. Hope you have your Bibles to be able to follow along. And here's what was interesting about this. I've sort of given you the big theme, relationships. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't have a main point here. He's really saying four separate things. This was very encouraging to me because I'm sure I've had some messages that don't have a main point, you know, and don't all fit together. And Jesus sort of has that. He sort of stands back and says, let me tell you four things about relationships. And that's how we're going to walk through it. But because each point sort of stands alone, really each point could be a whole message. So because each one stands alone, what, I'm, what we're going to do is I'll just explain the point, try to apply it, and then we'll pause for a prayer time. We've been pausing at the end of messages for a prayer time, but I thought today if we got all the way to the end and paused, it would be hard to remember all four. So we're just going to do, we'll teach on one of the points, then we'll pause and we'll pray, and then we'll sort of move through four different times just reflecting on what Jesus had said. If you do want a little bit of an outline, I think this is a kid's song as well, I'm not sure, but here's the outline. Inward, outward, upward, downward. That's the outline today as Jesus sort of says four different things about relationship. An inward view, an outward view, an upward view, and lastly, a downward view. So Luke 17, let me read verses 1 through 3. I'll tell you what the inward look is first. Again, this is the inward look. Here's what Jesus says. He ends with these words, and you'll see it on the screen. Watch yourselves. Jesus says, watch yourselves. All right, so here, let me read it for us. Luke 17, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. So why does Jesus say, watch yourself? Well, he starts by saying this. There are things in our lives that are bound to come our way. So it's inevitable this is going to happen. Inevitable things are going to come our way that tempt us, that cause us to stumble or could cause us to fall away from our faith. Jesus is saying right there, that is bound to happen. It's inevitable. So reflect on your last week, your last month. You probably had something come in your way that tempted you to sin. You may have something come your way that could have caused you to fall away from the faith. If that happened to you, you're normal. Jesus says those things happen. They are bound to happen. But that's not why he says we should watch ourselves. That's, that's assumed. Look at the next line. But woe, that word really, if you want to translate it well, is cursed. But cursed is anyone to whom through, to anyone through whom they come. Jesus is assuming that things are going to come into our lives. Temptation, uh, sin could, you know, come our way. But he's saying, don't be the person that causes someone else to sin. Don't be the person that, that causes someone else to fall away from their faith. That's why he's saying, watch yourselves. He's saying, look inward and see what's going on in your heart and in your life and how that could affect other people. And, and he tells us who the other people are. Look down to the end of verse 2. The little ones to stumble. 
Now, this could mean children, and it probably does. It could also maybe mean new disciples. He's talking to his disciples, and some would be further along than others. And he's saying the, the little ones, the newer disciples, don't cause them to stumble. It could also be, remember last week we talked about Lazarus, people like Lazarus who are, who are poor, and, and you know, don't do anything that would cause someone like Lazarus to stumble. And so you've got sort of three different categories, but the idea is watch yourselves so there's nothing in your life that could affect someone else negatively. And just so we know how serious Jesus is about this, he gives an illustration that is not very child-friendly. I think this is why we have, you know, harbor kids back there. Look at this illustration. If I was to use this, you would say, Jeff, that was a little bit graphic, but look what Jesus says, right? You'll see on the side screens, a millstone. You'll see how big it is used for grinding grain or pressing olives. And here's what Jesus says. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck than to cause someone else to stumble. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? Jesus is saying this is how serious this is, that we watch ourselves, that we examine ourselves, that we look at our lives. And he's probably not just talking about our lives here. He probably also is subtly referring to, or maybe not so subtly, to false teachers. Those that would promote false teaching that, that could lead someone astray in their faith. And he's saying, this is how serious it is. And we know how Jesus was so opposed against false teachers. So here's the first takeaway. The first inward look of relationships. Jesus says, let's all examine ourselves. Let's see if there's anything in our lives and in our behavior that could cause someone else to stumble, to fall in their faith, to, to be led away. So let me just pause there. Let's bow our heads and let's just have a moment of silent reflection. Here's the prayer. God, may you examine me. Let's examine our hearts and say, Lord, if there's something in my life, help me to repent of that. Help me to change. Let's just spend 30 seconds have that conversation with the Lord. Lord, may you hear our prayers today. So that's the inward look. The inward look is watch ourselves, what's going on in our lives. But now that's how we deal with our own sin. But now the outward look is how do we deal with other people's sin? How do we do it when someone else stumbles and falls? Or how do we deal when someone else is causing someone else to stumble and fall? Look down to the second half of verse 3. Here's what Jesus says. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So here's the outward look. Jesus tells us as we're dealing with other people's sin, he gives us two commands. Let me tell you, both of these are really hard. Both of these we resist. Here's the first one. You saw it there. Rebuke them. Right there at the end of verse 3. If someone sins against you, rebuke them. It, I've sort of called it on the screens there. Correct them. Now, this, this has to be done, Galatians 6 verse 2 tells us, with gentleness and with humility. We, we don't want to ever lose that gentleness and humility in the midst of a correction of someone's sin. But it's also the picture of this. It's like Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're a community together who are pursuing holiness, who are pursuing righteousness together. 
And Jesus is saying, don't let anything in your life get into the community that could ruin it. But if you see something in someone else's life, please go to them. Because we want our community together of all of disciples to be moving towards holiness. And you know my tendency and you know your tendency is this. You see sin in someone else, we just want to be quiet. Let's just avoid this, keep our heads down. I don't want to mention it. But what Jesus is saying here is if you see it, part of love for the disciples, power the palm and commitment to work together is to mention sin. Certainly small things we would overlook. But there are other things that are the magnitude that we should mention those. We should seek to correct someone. So that's the first half of the command, the outward look. But look at the second half. Here's what Jesus says. And if they repent, forgive them. And if they repent, forgive them. Now this took me some time to try to get my head around, and I'll, I think I'm going to do this somewhat quickly, but want to come back to it later. If I was to ask this question, who should we forgive? Who should we forgive? My, my gut reaction is maybe your gut reaction. It should be, we should say, well, we should forgive everyone. Isn't that what our culture says? You should just forgive everyone. But it seems that Jesus is saying something very different here. He's saying, if they repent, forgive them. So Jesus is saying that we should not forgive everyone. We should just forgive those who repent. And so I'd worked on this, couldn't really find a great answer. I'd studied myself, read a lot of stuff. And then it came to the middle of this week, and I still didn't have a great answer. So, sometimes, so I went to Google, right? And I thought, let me just Google some stuff. Sometimes you can find an article that just gives sort of a clear summary, and it just helps me put all of my thoughts together. So I Googled. I found this great article called Understanding Biblical Forgiveness, TGC Canada. I'm reading through this article. It was wonderful. I thought, I need to see who wrote this. So I go back up to the top, and our very own Andrea Tom had written the article. Andrea was here for the first service. So I texted Andrea. Then I called Andrea. I was like, Andrea. And Andrea was so good. Just helped me dive into this. She recommended a book that I, I read the next day. It's just trying to understand what Jesus is saying here about forgiveness. And it was not my natural inclination to move in this direction. So this was very helpful for me. What we're going to talk about here all hinges on how we define forgiveness. If forgiveness means feeling good towards someone or not feeling bitter, that's not biblical forgiveness. That's our culture's definition. But here's what we would all agree. If someone wrongs us, we should do everything we can to not be bitter towards them, not seek revenge. That's certainly biblical in this regard. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about biblical forgiveness. So think of it in these terms. Forgiveness, someone wrongs you, but then you have a gift and the gift is the gift of forgiveness towards them. It's the gift of forgiveness. You think of God towards us. Think of all our sin. How does God always come towards us? He always comes with the gift of forgiveness, offering it there for us. But what must we do? What must someone do who has offended us? They must take the gift. They must open it. What does that mean? They must repent of their sin, of their wrong. And then what Jesus says, if someone takes that gift of forgiveness and repents, then what should happen? The, the offending party should forgive them and then seek to be reconciled. Jesus is speaking here of disciples, those who are his followers, one who sinned against another. Jesus says when someone repents, you should forgive them and you should seek to reconcile with them. It's a picture of broken hostile relationships in the community that because of repentance and forgiveness are transformed into peaceful friendship togetherness relationships. 
So as we process what biblical forgiveness is, here's what Jesus says. If someone wrongs us, we should never seek revenge. We should never be bitter towards them. We should love our enemies. We should love our enemies, which means we should in our hearts, by God's grace, work to a spot to be, we would be eager that they would repent of their sins so we could offer them forgiveness. Our culture says we should just forgive everyone, sort of have this internal feeling. But Jesus' definition of biblical forgiveness is much deeper. He's saying that we, when someone repents, we should move to forgive but also restore relationship with them. French, thanks for letting us share your story today and the pain and the hurt of that. And sometimes this principle becomes all so clear in extreme situations. And we've heard an extreme story today. So here's what Jesus is teaching would be. And I'm just going to do this quickly. And I don't mean in any way to diminish it or make it seem simple or easy. But let me just apply Jesus' teaching to the situation we've heard of today. Think of French's family who was firebombed there in a refugee camp in Kenya. What is Jesus teaching? Well, they should not seek to have revenge towards them. They should do all they can to remove bitterness from their hearts. And they should work towards loving their enemies, which means at least, at least in their hearts, feeling like that they would want them to repent and recognize the depth of their sin. And then, if those who firebombed did repent of their sin, truly and sincerely, then the Christian response would be to forgive that sin, no longer hold it against them, and in the community of disciples, be reconciled together in friendship. Now, this does not mean that we're excluding consequences. There are consequences for sin. Jesus is not addressing that. He's addressing the relationships within the community. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And as you start thinking of the depth of the illustration we had and how difficult that is, and maybe for some of you, you've got something in your life and you're right there and you're seeing Jesus teaching. Now you're seeing the depth of what biblical forgiveness is. And then look at the next line Jesus comes to. As we're just grappling with that, doing it one time, then Jesus, you know, he uses exaggeration to make a point. And here's what he says. If that happens seven times in a day, and someone truly repents seven times, then you should forgive them and be reconciled with them seven times. And we're like, Jesus, I'm not sure if I could do that one time in a lifetime. But you're asking me to do that seven times in a day. That is the picture of biblical forgiveness. And this is how God works with us. This is how God forgives us. Because we sin against him seven times a day. But yet as we come back, he always forgives us. And then what do we say to those who do not repent? Well, it's much broader than just the relationship. We talked about this last week. Remember Lazarus and the rich man? What was the point of that story? The point of that story was that those who do not repent spend an eternity in hell, under torment, in agony. And so the point of that story was compelling all people to repent and turn to God. And so here's what our heart, God should work in each one of our hearts as it comes to this area of repentance. We see what God has done for us. And may God, by his grace, work in our hearts a desire that every single other person would repent and turn to him. 
That's the depth of the biblical teaching of forgiveness. Let me just show you one other quote that brings it together. This is from Chris Brahms, his book, Unpacking Forgiveness. This is the book that I read this week. It's outstanding. It really helps you know, define so differently how our culture and how the Bible define forgiveness. This is Kevin DeYoung's summary of it, and it's a great summary. The offer of forgiveness is unconditional for God, and it should be for us. But forgiveness itself is conditional upon repentance. We must always be open and even in God's grace become eager to extend forgiveness. But we, like God, can only forgive the truly penitent. No bitterness either way, no revenge, but forgiveness and reconciliation that should follow is a commitment to those who repent. That's God's teaching. That's Jesus' teaching on biblical repentance. So let's again pause. Let's have a moment of reflection. Is there someone you know who has sin in their lives and you just feel convicted you need to go and talk to them? Is there someone in your life who has hurt you and you're not eager that they would repent? <coughs> you're bitter towards them. May, may you just speak to the Lord about that. And is there someone who has truly repented and you just don't want to forgive them? Would you just speak to the Lord about that? Oh, Lord, you see the hurts of relationships. And, oh, God, we ask that you would uh, hear our prayers and help us, oh, Lord. Amen. Now, if you're dealing with the depth of this, of what this means, right? And some of you are dealing with this personally. Others of you can think of situations, the depth of what biblical forgiveness is. And you might think, I could never do that. I could never do that. Or you're thinking of a hypothetical. If that happened, I could never forgive. Here's what you might be saying in your heart. I just don't have enough faith. I just don't know if I trust God that much to forgive that. If you're there, look down to verse 5. Because it's exactly where the 12 disciples get. Right? This is the, the, the core 12. Look at verse 5. Here's what they cry out. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They, they just are overwhelmed by this. They're like, we can't live like this, Jesus. It's impossible. How could we ever forgive to this degree? How could we do this? That's, we don't have enough faith to trust you, God, to forgive in this way. So if you're there, the disciples, the 12, are right there with you. And then look at Jesus' response. It's so helpful. Here's what he says, and this is the upward look. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So Jesus' response here, the disciples have said, we don't have enough faith. So let me just give his response, sort of one, in a broad category. What's Jesus teaching us about faith in general? And then secondly, let me just apply it to the specific issue that made them utter this forgiveness. But let me start broad first. You've heard today, you hear this, and this is a false teaching. This is a false teaching, but you often hear people say this. If you just had more faith, then God would do this. If you just believed in God more, then he would do that, right? It's faith in faith. It's false teaching. Here, I can show it to you right here. It's why it's false. Because it's what the disciples are saying. We don't have enough faith. Increase our faith. If that false teaching was true, then Jesus in verse 6 should say, you're right, guys. You don't have enough faith. You got to work on it and get more, right? That would be the response, but that's not what Jesus says. He says the exact opposite. 
Here's what he says. If you have just a teensy, teensy little bit of faith, like a mustard seed, so small you can hardly see it, that's enough. Here's what he's saying. Your amount of faith, your quantity of faith, does not contribute to God's work. The quantity of your faith does not contribute, does not affect God's work. He's saying even a little small amount of faith, even so small, so minuscule, can, can lead to remarkable results. That's what Jesus is teaching. Here's the teaching. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the presence of faith. Do you have any? And it's the object of our faith. It's God. A little bit of faith in the big God goes a long way. That's what Jesus is teaching. And some of you just need to hear this today because that false teaching is so prevalent you can beat yourselves up. It's my fault I don't have enough faith. And that's what Jesus is not saying. You just need to be comforted in this. You see, Jesus, just help me in whatever you bring my way to trust you in these things. That's the comfort. That's the encouragement that Jesus brings here. So that's the overarching principle. But now, let me just apply it specifically to the roots of bitterness, to the roots of unforgiveness. I could never reconcile with this person. You'll see on the screens, or let me first say this back on the faith idea. This is... Uh, to go back just as you're sort of struggling through that before I read this next quote, is it's this. Sometimes, and I see this happen all the time, with a new believer. A new believer just has a little bit of faith. And some of you are right now in this category, right? You're just trusting Christ. You're six months in. You're three months in. You're a year in. And you just have a little bit of faith. And some of you know people like this. And you look in on them and they're like, oh, they've just got a little bit of faith. They don't know very much, right? But they've just got a little bit. And then here's what happens so often. You take that little bit of faith and you just trust God. And you just put it in action. And sometimes other people are looking and thinking, oh, I don't know if that's going to work, right? Like you're a little bit naive how trusting you are in God. And then what happens, and I see it happen all the time, is someone takes a little bit of faith early on in their journey and they apply that and God just wonderfully works. He just does something incredible. He, he just works. He answers the prayer. He moves into someone's life. And it's like God is saying, I just want you to know that you can trust me. If you've got just a little bit of faith and you put it in action, you can see that you can trust me and I will meet you there. But then as we grow in our faith, it's not always that easy. You know that. I know that. But as we grow in our faith, sometimes as God is saying this, I want to strengthen your faith. I want to grow your faith in those moments. And sometimes when it's not as easy, those are the moments where you dive in and you say, God, increase my faith. Help me just to trust you in whatever is coming. So that reminds us of the principle. It's not the size of our faith, but it's present and it's object. And God, as in those moments where I feel your delay, just help me keep putting my faith in you. All right, let me come back now to move to the specific question of how does this affect deep-rooted bitterness, our inability to forgive, our inability to reconcile. Here's how Charles Spurgeon said it. Now the quote, here it is. As a tree takes hold of the earth by its roots, my ill temper is rooted in the very depth of my nature. I am uh, quick-tempered. From my very birth, I have found it hard to forgive. But if you have faith, you can say to that ill-tempered mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. See, a mulberry tree had all these roots that just ran everywhere. It's like weeds in our garden. No matter how much you keep pulling them, they just keep growing up. Right? And so people would think you could never get a mulberry tree out, fully out. The roots would always stay. 
But Jesus is saying sometimes that's what bitterness can be like. Sometimes that can be what like unforgiveness was. Even though you've repented, I will not forgive you. Even though you've repented, I will not reconcile with you. Sometimes that can get so deep down like a mulberry tree. But Jesus is saying even a little bit of faith in him, he can help us to get to the point where we could forgive, where we could, rep where we could then reconcile with someone. That's the picture he's painting. And, and again, we know that picture. Because if someone's really hurt, we're like, Jesus, this is so hard. And we just say, God, just help us to trust you with the little faith we have to forgive and to reconcile, and may you take it from there. So that's the upward look. God, may you increase our faith in you as it comes to forgiveness and it comes to all other matters in life. So let's pause again. Let's just have a moment of reflection. Where do you just need to trust the Lord more? Who might you just need to say, God, I trust you. Help me forgive. Help me reconcile. Let's just spend a moment and reflect. God, hear our prayer this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, the last one then, you know, if you're coming along and you're sort of saying, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing okay, or, you know, depending where you're at, this next one just helps put us all in context. Look down to verse 7 through 10. This is the downward look. Here's where we are. Here's what Jesus tells. He tells a little parable. Suppose one of you have a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So Jesus is using this human illustration to help us understand our relationship with God. He says there's a servant who goes out in the field, you know, takes care of the sheep or plows the field. Sort of that was half his job for the day. And he gets that done. And then he comes in the house and the, the slave owner, the master, doesn't say, hey, great job. Let's have a party because you did your job today. No, the, the master, the, the king or whoever in the story just says, no, you just continue on and doing what you were supposed to do, which is make the meal and serve that. What, what Jesus is teaching here is there's not a party for obedience. The servant just does his duty. He does what he is asked. And in the same way, this is what Jesus is saying of us. What it means to follow Jesus is to just obey him, just to do what he asks us to do. And as you think back over those last three points, you know, we could say to God, well, God, my life is not working out the way I want. The relationships aren't the way I want. I want this fixed. I want that to happen. And we could even get bitter or think God owes us something. And Jesus says, no, you're not in control. You're just a servant. And just do what I've asked you to do. Our faith is just, God, help me do my duty in regards to relationships. Help me to examine myself. Help me, if someone repents, to be quick to forgive. Help me to get rid of bitterness. Help me to trust you, Lord. Help me just do my part, God, and I will trust you with the outcomes. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And then it all hinges on that last phrase. The last phrase where he begins to move and talk about us. It says in the NIV, we are all unworthy servants. I, I've changed the word because we don't get unworthy well. Uh, the better word, I think, is undeserving servants. This is how you know if you understand the gospel message. We are all undeserving servants. Here's what it means. We bring nothing before God. 
God, we don't, you don't owe us anything. We don't bring any goodness or any merit. We haven't worked for anything. We are just undeserving. God, we don't deserve anything from you. And God, we're just thankful that you have brought us into your family, that you've allowed us to serve in your kingdom. So here's the gospel message for those of you, or here's the message of following Jesus. Here's what it is. We deserve nothing from God. We are full of sin. We have rebelled against him, but yet God is quick to offer us his forgiveness. He genuinely wants us to repent and receive everything. And so we need to come to a point where we humble ourselves, where we say, God, I admit that I have rebelled against you, but God, now I come humbly and receive from you the gift that you want to offer your forgiveness of me. I'm undeserving. And when we come and accept that gift, then we receive all that he wants to offer. The forgiveness of our sins, the power to live a different life. He changes us. He secures our eternity. That's the promise that Jesus ends with. That view of who we are. And that affects how we view our initial start with our relationship with God. And then everything after that. We live every day in every relationship. God just saying, I'm an undeserving servant. And help me just obey and follow you and trust you in all things. So that's our fourth point today. Let's just pause again for another moment of prayer. If you've never admitted you're undeserving, that you're a sinner, if you've never accepted God's gift of forgiveness and repented, wouldn't you come now and do that in your heart? Come to Christ, receive God's forgiveness through the cross. And for all the rest of us, would you just remind yourselves of all Christ did for you through the cross, that you're an undeserving servant and just celebrate his grace in your life. Let's take 30 seconds. And so, Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers today. Oh God, we thank you, Lord, for this relational advice. God, it's just what you intended for us to hear today, each one of us. And God, some of these words are hard, they're challenging, but God, we thank you as we apply your word to our lives, Lord. The end result is joy. God, the end result of following you is that we, we end up in a good place of joy because of our obedience to you. And so God, may you help us see that. May you help us trust you today. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Uh, we always just end our service with four words, Harbor We Are Sent. But before we do that, I usually just have a couple of slides. One is a Harbor We Are Sent slide. And here's what's encouraged me over the last couple of weeks. So many discipleship groups have started. And you'll see on the slide the picture of the three circles. So many of you have said to me, you're learning the three circles. You're learning this tool. And I'm praising God for that and your excitement in that and your desire to want to share that with other people and just praying we would keep sharing that good news message. So thanks to all our discipleship group leaders who are living that out. Second slide is just my always every week reminder, someone's sitting around you and you don't know their name. And so after we dismiss, would you just turn to them and ask them their name, introduce yourself. We wanna all welcome each other this morning. Let me invite you to stand as we close. I've been reading these words from Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, and just good reminders for us on what it means to be a disciple. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Harbor, we are sent.